Well, good morning. Welcome to Rise Church. How are you doing today? <clears throat> okay, great, great. Well, I got a little frog in my throat, but we'll get through this. Thank you. I want to start by saying thank you to you. It's been a month that we've been here. Uh, I know probably for some of you it seems a lot longer than that, but <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> you're saddled with me now. I'm like a bad itch. I don't go away. <clears throat> so, um, but we're starting, we're, we're into week three. Can you believe it's week three already of, uh, thanks bud, week three of, of our, our Advent season already? And I thank you for praying for Christmas Eve. That was part of what I was planning on to say. And so that's good that you've already dealt with that. And I have somebody I've chosen to invite for that night. And I'm really looking forward to that. That is a precious service. It'll be our first one. Our first candlelight service here in this church. And we're looking to have you in by 3.30 and out by 4.30. Because that's a, that's a very precious day. All right. Start out with a little trivia today. Some of you may know this, uh, but January 18th, 2015, what happened on that date? Okay, let me add another raisin to the oatmeal here. If you're a guy, this was a really hard day. And not, not a few of you women as well, this was probably a really, really hard day. January 18th. 2015. That was the date of the NFC championship game. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Between the Packers and the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, thank you for reminding me, Pastor. I mean, me too, me too. I mean, the Packers were 94.4% probability that they would win the game at halftime already. At halftime, it was 94% chance that they were going to win the game. With three minutes to go, Three minutes to go. It was 99.9% chance. They had held Russell Wilson to a 0.0% passer rating. He'd thrown three interceptions, and the fourth one came with three minutes. Remember, Morgan Burnett catches the pass. Run, he's got open field, and he stops. Yeah. yeah. Three running plays. We punt, and the rest is history. The, the onside kick, overtime, the missed, the missed um, assignment, and I'm like, what on earth just happened here? How did they lose? And then don't you just love the next year? Troy, or, um, what's his name? Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. How many times did Joe Buck say, I remember last year, and then they show the pictures. It's like, I want to strangle one of them. It's like, all right, I've heard it enough. Yeah, they lost. But I remember going outside, and, and we lived by a, by a woods, and I remember walking outside in the woods and, and by the garden and just thinking, what happened? I, what happened? It was that they had the game. How did they lose that game? I mean, I had my finger on the computer to order a Packer polo shirt to wear in the pulpit the next Sunday because we're pastoring in Minnesota. And any chance to rub it in <laughs> in Minnesota was, was a good day. And so I, I'm just thinking, and then they lose. And then I got to go back to church and hear all the garbage. Adam Thielen was from the church He's from the community where I pastored, and his relatives were in my church, and it was like, how'd those Packers do last week? <laughs> devastated. Absolutely devastated. It doesn't, it pales in comparison to what we're going to be talking about today. Today we're in, in Matthew's gospel, we're in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. We're talking about Joseph this morning. 
And Joseph's world was planned out. I mean, it, this, it was a dropkick. This is what's going to happen. And then the bottom falls out of his world. God steps into his world and all of his plans go, go out the window. And God had something far bigger for Joseph than what he could ever have imagined. The question for us here today as we begin is, when the bottom falls out of your world, to where do you turn? And in whom do you trust? Because for some of us, this week the bottom fell out. Or maybe two weeks ago, or maybe a month ago, or maybe a year ago, the bottom fell out of your life, and you're still reeling from it and saying, what am I going to do in the midst of this time? And as we look today at the life of Joseph, we see what it is that God calls Joseph to do. God calls Joseph to trust him. That's a huge one. The question of, can I trust God? God calls Joseph to obey him. That's another big one. Sometimes people say, well, I have trouble with obeying God. I have trouble with his commandments. Henry Blackaby says if you have an obedience problem, it's, it's not an issue with obedience. It's a love issue. You have a love problem because God says in his word that whoever has my commandments and obeys them, he's the one who, who loves me. So if you've got trouble obeying God, it's not an obedience problem. It's a love problem. So this is a huge thing for, jo for Joseph. And then he's also called to honor him. And we're going to see how it is that he honors God. And that's what we've been talking about through this whole series, is choosing to honor God when we don't get what it is that we want. Because Joseph's life, it is not going to turn out the way that he had expected. It's going to turn out far better. And Joseph is a man who honors God. We begin, let me just read the scripture for us this morning. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from, this, from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her till, he, till she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Powerful stuff. I mean, Joseph, it starts out, he had his, his life planned out, didn't he? He had it all planned out, and it said, this is how the birth of Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. We get a picture of this that Joseph doesn't. Joseph doesn't know that Mary, that the, the reason that Mary is pregnant is through the Holy Spirit. And Joseph's world has fallen apart. What was Joseph's plan? His plan for his life is what? He's going to marry Mary. You know, in six months to a year, they're going to get married. They're going to live in Nazareth, I mean, where he grew up and probably where, where his grandfather grew up and his grandfather's grandfather grew up. He's going to follow in the footsteps of his father, his grandfather, and however many ever generations and being a carpenter. They're going to have children, and hopefully if there's boys, that they're going to, he's going to raise them to not only be carpenters, but he's going to raise them to love God. And we're going to see how he does with that in a little bit. That's his life. That's his world. That's how things, plan, how things had planned out. 
But then we hear this. But before they came together, Mary was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Scandal. Scandal. Any of you grow up in a small town? A really small town? Yeah. You know how tongues wag, don't you? And you know as well, everybody's watching you. When we, first, when we were first in Bible college in, 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 uh, in Minnesota, we lived in this little town in New Germany, Minnesota. And we lived in an old Lutheran school that they'd made into four apartments. And we had to go down to the mail, down to the post office to get our mail. We were the only ones who were from away. We were the only ones who didn't live, grow up, and die in that, in that city. And boy, they watched us. They knew when we came and when we went. And all of our mail was out there for them to see. Can you imagine Mary in this small town? Women have a sixth sense about pregnancy, don't they? They can tell when a woman is pregnant. I don't know what it was the morning sickness. I don't know if she's beginning to change in size. But I doubt seriously that it was Mary who comes to Joseph and says, um, I, I'm, I'm pregnant. But however it happens, this is scandal. This is open scandal. And, and Joseph, can you imagine? Put yourself in his shoes. What just happened? I, I thought she was a woman of integrity. How is it that she's pregnant? I mean, his world is absolutely rocked to the bottom. But what he doesn't know, what we do, is that this was God's doing. And sometimes when the bottom falls out of your world, God's in it. Remember what we said last week? God is in this, and God is good. I don't know what situation you are facing today, but God is with you. We're going to hear more about that in a minute. And God's not left you. He hasn't abandoned you. He's in this, and he's good. And Joseph sees one option. I mean, he actually has got three options. He can, he can have Mary stoned. Old Testament law says, woman who is pregnant outside of marriage, stone her. Take him out to, the, out to the village square and stone the woman. What about the guy? Okay, the second option. Second option, second option was to publicly disgrace her. He could have brought her out into the public square and just humiliated her, disgraced her, and then divorced her. But we see that Joseph is a class act. We see that Joseph truly loves Mary. And he doesn't want to do those things. He wants to just quietly divorce her. But he's going to divorce her. Until God steps in. Because God had a bigger plan for her. God, there's, there's a bigger picture. You know, you think about our lives. What's God's plan for your life? What's God's plan, young people, for your life? Husbands, wives. What's God's plan for your marriage? What's God's plan for your business? What's God's plan for you where you're at? In your, in where you work or where you live? What's God's plan? Have we taken the time to stop? Because God has a much bigger plan for Joseph. God has a much bigger plan. And the bigger plan, we, we find out about it in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And it says there that a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and you want to say, blah, 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 all those names. Let's get to the good stuff. Wow, don't go over the genealogies. Go over to Luke's genealogy. That's Mary's. That's the genealogy of Mary. We find Five women in the genealogy. You talk about scandalous? Never would you put women, and all of these women have something dubious in their background. 
Every single one, even Mary, because Mary is thought to be pregnant outside of wedlock. But every one of those women, and how many, you got two Gentiles as well in the genealogy of Jesus. I mean, just scandalous. Don't run over the top of the genealogies. And you have to ask yourself the question, so why does God include that there? But in Matthew's genealogy, this is the genealogy of Joseph. Luke's is Mary. And he begins by saying here, a record of the genealogy of Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why does he, why does he make that distinction? David is the kingly line. Abraham is the line of blessing. Because God says to Abraham, through you all peoples will be blessed. Jesus comes not only to be king, but he comes to bring a blessing as well into this world. He, God has a much bigger plan. And he says as well in Matthew 1, verse 20, 22 and 23, it says, well, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with birth and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, <clears throat> which means God with us. When was that prophecy given? That's a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, almost verbatim. When was that prophecy given? 700 years prior to that time. When Micah the prophet says, But you, Ephratah, though you were least among the thousands, out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler over all Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, they're from everlasting. Micah chapter 5, verse 12. Both Micah and Isaiah are ministering about the same time. How many years in advance is this of the time of Christ? 700 years. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and it will give you a 50-cent word. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. This is the first time we hear of the coming Messiah. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he who will strike at his heel, but he will crush your head. That's the first time we read about that. But we have prophecy after prophecy in the Scriptures. Josh McDowell in his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, I would highly recommend it to you, cites an article written in Let Science Speak by a guy by the name of Steve Stoner. Steve Stoner is doing a study on the probability of miracles happening in the life of Christ. Hold on to your seats. Because he said the chances of eight prophecies coming true in the life of Christ, prophecies such as he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. All those around him would leave him, that his, that his hands would be pierced, that he would be, um, that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb, that he would be born in Bethlehem. All of those. The chances of just eight prophecies, just eight, the probability of that happening is 10 to the 50s, <clears throat> 10 to the 17th power. I, I'm like you. I'm no ma math major. Maybe you are a math major, but that's an awful big number. Stoner puts it in a way so that we can understand it. Imagine you take the state of Texas and you cover the state of Texas to a depth of two feet with silver dollars. One of those silver dollars you paint red. And then you tell somebody, you blindfold them, tell them to walk the length and the breadth of Texas as far as they want to walk. But at some point, they have to reach their hand down and grab one of those silver dollars. The possibility of him finding that one red silver dollar throughout the state of Texas at the depth of two feet is 10 to the 17th power. But it gets better because there were 48 different prophecies that were fulfilled in the life of Christ. Those of you who are skeptics, those of you who like to study, go, go look at those. They're found in uh, Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. The chances of 48 prophecies coming true in the life of Christ is 10 to the 157th power. And he gives an illustration of that. I'll let you read that yourself. 
That's a a huge number. What it boils down to is this. What God says is what he's going to do. Okay? When God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, he means it. When God says that for as many as received him to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, he means it. And what that means is that I, my salvation is secure in Christ. Remember, your salvation is not based upon what you've done. It's based upon what was done for you at the cross. And even the faith that it took for you to pray to receive Christ is a gift from God. Amen? Amen. That's what God, and when God makes a promise, he chooses to fulfill it. And when God sets about to do something, take it to the bank, it's going to happen. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Here he says, I'm bringing my son into the world. And nothing, nothing will stand in the way. The plans of God for Joseph, (laughs) think about it. He's putting his son into the home of a simple carpenter. A teenage girl. And they're going to live in a dusty backwater town of Nazareth. So how did Joseph do? As a father, he did pretty good. Say, how do you know? How do you know it? Because we don't find much of a record of Joseph after after the birth narratives. But we do. When Jesus is baptized, remember, he goes down into the water, comes out, the Holy Spirit comes down upon him, the voice from heaven says, This is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Jesus goes into the desert where he's tempted for 40 days. The tempter says to you, if you are the Son of God, if you are, all this. And Jesus answers him three times. It is written, it is written, it is written. Where does that come from? Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Deuteronomy chapter 8. Where would Jesus have learned that? From Joseph. From Joseph. Hold on to your heads. Never underestimate how your obedience how your choice to, um, to trust God and how your willingness to sacrifice will affect the next generation. Let me say that again. Never underestimate how your obedience to God, your willing to sacrifice, your willing to choose to honor God will affect the next generation. And the, and the, and the opposite is also true. Never underestimate how your disobedience, your unwillingness to trust God, your unwillingness to honor God will also affect the next generation. Beck and I both had fathers who were the first Christians in their family. My father didn't pray to receive Christ until he was 30 years old. And because he became a Christian, I grew up in a Christian home. My, my father's side of the family, a lot of occult, a lot of, uh, even though the name Arndt is German, um, my relatives were all gypsy. They were all uh, from, from Germany. They were all gypsy. Uh, very much into fortune telling and things like that. And so a lot of occult in, in, in on that side. And God wonderfully saved my dad. Um, I grew up in a home where we went to church. We went to this little alliance church in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. And they gave a ridiculous amount of money to, to missions. And because they gave this amount of money to missions, we, had, we were on what they called special tour, where we got the cream of the crop missionaries, and Joel, aren't little Joel would be sitting right up here in the front, and, you know, listening to what the, what the missionaries had to say. And I got a heart for missions at a young age. I mean, we had missionaries in our home and really felt a call, you know, later on in life to join God in what he was doing around, this, around the world. 
Becca's father prayed to receive Christ when he was in his later teens, uh, and as a result, he met this red-haired lady named Winnie, and uh, they went to school at Nyack, and they, they married, and they answered the call of God to be missionaries in Laos. And while they were there, they not only ministered to the Lao people, but they ministered mainly to the Hmong. The Hmong were coming to Christ in droves during that time. And her father, Ali, his responsibility was to train pastors at the Bible school in Vientiane. And he trained up many of those pastors there so that when 1975 came and the communists came over the country and, and the, the Hmong had to flee, the Hmong went to the refugee camps all along the border in Thailand. And there they saw more people come to Christ. And then when they came to the United States, they came to places like Fresno, Stockton, Sacramento, Modesto, Marysville. And all these pastors have been trained by my father-in-law. And they, are in, they were in bigger churches as well. And these churches, when I first started ministry, I started ministry after him. He was going back to, back to Thailand, and I was following up after him. And they didn't call me Pastor Joel. They called me Lukleachan Ketzel, the son-in-law of Pastor Ketzel. I was always known by that name. But I think about these pastors and the influence that they had. They were trained by her father, but these pastors also trained other pastors who trained other pastors who led other people to Christ. And where did it begin? It all began with a choice to say, God, I choose to follow you. Never underestimate your obedience and the effect that it will have on the next generation. And also never underestimate the disobedience can have on the next generation. And for some of you, my intent with that is not to make you feel lower than a snake's belly right now. Because some of us, we say, oh, I didn't do the greatest of job. There's a word called repentance. Amen. And there is, God is the one who said in his word that he is the God who restores the years that the locusts have eaten. And he can work in and through things even when we haven't done the best of jobs. He's still able to work. The question is today, right now, right where you're at, will you choose to honor God and allow those around you to see you honor God? Not on a fake flight. Our young people that are here, you know when someone's a fake. You can smell a fake a mile away. Don't be a fake. Be real in, in, your, in your walk. If you're choosing to walk with Christ, if you're choosing to obey, obey God. What's the last thing that he told you to do? So how are you doing with that? Because God's not going to show you the next thing until you be obedient with the first thing. He's got a bigger plan. So the question I have for us here is, so what's God's plan for you? How does he seek, want to seek to involve you in his plan? Young people, have you taken the time to ask him? Couples, have you taken the time to fast and to pray and say, God, what do you want from us? What have you taken the time to say, God, you give me this business. What do you want with this? How can I honor you? How can I just reflect you in this? What is God's plan? Have you taken the time to ask him? And I mentioned fasting. Okay. There is something about fasting that when you take that time to, to go off of a meal or go off for several days off a meal, um, that touches the heart of God. And it makes you a lot more open to what it is that God has to say. Now listen, we're not going to die, okay? We're not going to die if we miss a meal or two or even if we miss a day. You're not going to die. But it's interesting 
how God will draw you even closer in his relationship with you in and through fasting. So he comes to this part, he comes to um, this world. God sent his son to, to this world. That, that was, he had a plan, he had a bigger purpose. Why does he send Jesus to this world? We, we, read, we read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, it says, But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So what's God's purpose with Jesus? To save us from our sins. But did you catch that phrase again? Do not be afraid. How many times have we heard? This is the third week now. And every week, that phrase comes up. And it's going to keep coming up. You will hear it in next week. And you'll hear it on Christmas Eve again. Every single time. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What are you in the midst of right now that's terrorizing you? What's eating your lunch right now that's causing you a lot of fear? God, in the midst of this time, says, don't be afraid. Ninety times in the Old Testament, he says it alone. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why? Because fear takes your eyes off of God and puts it onto your situation. He says, don't be afraid. Joseph, this is God's doing. She is a woman of integrity. She hasn't been unfaithful to you. This is God's doing, Joseph. Take Mary home as your wife and give him the name Jesus. For Joseph to do that, that would be a scary thing. Because in this culture, I mean, a woman who is, uh, who is pregnant out of wedlock, for you to take her into your home is to say that, that I will take care of her and, I, and I'm going to watch over her. For Joseph to come to his family and to say, um, I've changed my mind. I'm going to marry her. You'd be like, what? Are you kidding me? Shame and honor culture? You're going to shame us by bringing that woman into your house? She's pregnant and what? by who? By the Holy Spirit? Give me a break. Give me a break. That, you can't be serious. You can't do that. You're going, to, you're going to ruin us as a family. And think about it. Joseph's a businessman too. Who's going to want to do business with somebody who's got a checkered past? And yet Joseph chooses to trust God. There's another thing in here. He says, you will give him the name Jesus. For Joseph to be obedient to God would mean sacrifice. For us to be obedient to Christ is sacrifice, is humility, and sometimes it can be painful. But for Joseph to be obedient to Christ, to be obedient to God, would be a sacrifice. Why? Whose prerogative was it to name the child? Joseph's, the father. But God says, you give him this name. For Joseph to do that means Joseph gives up what? He gives up his rights. There's another word for that. It's called lordship. For Joseph to give up that right is him to say, Okay, you're Lord. Is Joseph going to do it? We'll see. We'll see what he does. But you know, you think about it. God had a bigger plan for, for Joseph. And the bigger plan was because God wanted to have a relationship with us. Think about that. 
God wants to have a relationship with us. And you say, well, I don't know that I want to have a relationship with God. doesn't matter. He still wants to have a relationship with you, a relationship that is real, it's personal, and is based upon his love. He seeks, he is seeking to have a relationship with you. He is seeking to woo you to his side. But the problem is, before that could happen, a little issue of sin needed to be dealt with. God needed to deal with the sin. And here's the thing. If God were just a holy God, if we could go to that screen, if God was only holy, he would not have come down because he would, he would simply have demanded that we get our act together so that we could be holy enough, holy and moral enough to merit a relationship with him. I don't know about you. How are you doing on that holiness thing? That's not always the easiest one, is it? Remember yesterday, your conversation with your spouse? Remember this week uh, when that guy cut you off in traffic? It's not always easy to be holy. And God knows that we can't be holy. He says that there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeks after God. God knew that we couldn't be holy enough, and that's why he gave his son. But there's another part of this. If God was a deity who, next slide please. If God was a deity who was all accepting, a God of love, he wouldn't have needed to come to earth. He would have just simply looked at us and said, oh, it's okay, come on in, and he would have embraced us. But there's a four-letter word, and it's called just. God is just. And because God is just, sin can't simply be overlooked. Sin needed to be dealt with. And God knew the only way that our sin could be dealt with was if he dealt with it. God so loved us that he chose to deal with that as, as well. Um, God chooses to deal, deal with it. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5 and 6. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5 and 6, he said he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We all have turned, our, we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Why did Jesus have to come? Because of me. Because of us. It was my sin. It wasn't his sin. He had no sin. You see, at the cross, two things happen. Jesus pays the price for our sins. He paid a debt that he didn't owe because we had a debt that we couldn't pay. And he pays the price for our sins. He dies so that we can be forgiven our sins. So the time, the moment that you pray to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, God says you are forgiven. Forgiven, past, present, and future. And then he dumps into your account. 50 cent word, he imputes into your account all of the righteousness of Christ. So that when God looks at us, he does not see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And that will never go away. That will never go away. The second thing that he does at the cross is that he paid the price. He took on the wrath of God on our behalf. So that we could have peace with God. So that we could have peace with God. That's what Jesus did for us at the cross. His, his choosing, his sending his son to the earth to pay the price for our sins was, say, was, was his way of saying, next, that's the next uh, slide, please. God sending his son to the earth for our sins was his way of saying not only how much he loves us, but he wants to have a relationship with us. So how are we doing with that? I mean, I, I, don't, 
I, I know some of you now by name. I, I don't know what goes on in your heart or your life. How's you, how are you doing with that relationship? God longs to meet with you. God longs to have a relationship. You th- think about the way that he came. Why didn't he just come as a man? Why didn't he just come as a full-grown man? Why was a baby? Think about it. The baby can't, a couple of months ago, we were in Bemidji, um, Bemidji, Minnesota, and uh, meeting my newest granddaughter, Lucy, and, uh, you know, she's a big girl, but absolutely unable to, uh, to feed herself, to, to change herself, to take care of her, um, uh, I got the British word nappy, um, diapers, diapers. Uh, she's unable to change her diapers, you know, absolutely unable to do that. But what's more vulnerable than a baby? Think about it. Is there anything more vulnerable than a baby? And Jesus comes not as a full-grown man, but he comes vulnerable, absolutely vulnerable as a child. And he came for us. And when the shepherds would have found him, and you'll hear more about this on Christmas Eve, their remark would have been, he's just like us. He came just like us. God loves us. And it says that, that when he came, he was given a name, and the name was Emmanuel. And we read in Matthew chapter, chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Here's Here's the person. We've had the plan, we've got the purpose, and here's the person. Jesus comes, and he's not just a man. Fully God, fully man. But while he's here, and, and even after he leaves, he's what? He's Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. So where today would you say you need God? The fact that Jesus comes to this earth, he comes not just to be Savior, but he comes to be God with us. What would this have meant to the original readers? Matthew's writing to a predominantly Jewish audience seeking to convince them that Jesus Christ is Messiah and King. What would this have meant that he's not only Messiah, he's not only King, but he's also God with us? What would this have meant to them? This would have been incredibly encouraging to them. The people that Matthew is writing to at this time, it's tough. It's not as tough as when John writes to the the churches in Revelation. That is really tough. That's like 90 AD when he's writing there. But Matthew is writing to the time when it's getting tough to be a Christian. And to know that God is with us, to know that God will never leave us nor forsake us, to know that God says, call unto me and I will answer you. To know that there's a God who hears us, a God who's with us, a God who said that that he would walk with us through whatever it is that we're walking through. That would have been incredibly encouraging. How about for us? In the midst of what it is that we're walking through. Because the question comes down to this for Joseph. Can I trust God? And it's a question for us as well. Let me frame that in two ways. That little phrase, can you trust God? Let me put it this way. Can you trust God? In the midst of adversity, is God going to be there? Just look back at the Old Testament. Just look back at at, at the Bible and see where God was. Was God there in the midst of adversity? Every single time. 
Even when they went to Babylon, even when they were taken into captivity, God was still there. God making a prophecy long before it ever happened that a guy by the name of Cyrus would be the one who would tell the people to go back to Jerusalem. God was with his people throughout all of that time. Is God with us when we walk through times of adversity right now? Can he be trusted? Okay, now let me put it another way. Can you trust God? Do you have a relationship so that in the midst of adversity, so right now when the bottom drops out of your world, that you know, that you know, that you know that God is Emmanuel. He is with you no matter what. And you know that, that opening intro that we saw up here on the screen, for some of us, this has been a rough year. It's been tough because things have happened. For some of you, this week was a really tough week. Is Jesus Emmanuel? Because here's the thing. We can, we can know it in our heads. We can recognize that in our, in our heads. We know the truth. This is slide number seven, the last one. <clears throat> we can know this to be true in our heads. But what about in our hearts? And the way that we know it's not true in our hearts is if it doesn't revolutionize our lives. Because God with us means that God is with us and that God can be trusted, right? So in the midst of what you're walking through right now, will you trust God? And it's not a question of can I trust God, it's will you trust God? How many times and how many ways does he have to prove that he is trustworthy? Can you trust him? The question is will you trust him? Will you trust him with what it is that you're walking through right now? For some of us, it's heartache. For some of us, it's medical issues of someone we love or, or us. For some of us, it's marriage. For some of us, it's our job or lack thereof. For some of us, it's our parents. And our parents reach that, that stage in their life where we're having to care for them. But what, what do I do in the midst of this situation? Will you trust God? Will you invite him to be Emmanuel? in your life. You know, this week, uh, when we left Hong Kong, we left our bank account open. There was uh, our, our retirement. They still were, China, Hong Kong government was still trying to figure out our, our retirement and everything else that went with it. And so we had to leave our account open. But we had an account uh, with a bank that was also here in America. And so we thought, okay, you know, just, just, just at some point laterally transfer our money across from Hong Kong to America. Hmm. That'd be good in theory. That would be really smart. You know, they want my opinion on this. That would have been really good for them to do. Uh, but that isn't how it works out, as I was to find out. I called. I, I tried try to figure out, okay, so who do I call to talk to? And I finally got the, the corporate number for this place and this bank. And I called and I got a computer. Give us your debit card or your social security number or your account number. So I thought, okay, I'll give them the account number for my account in Hong Kong. That's when I realized, okay, those two places are not talking to one another. And I'm like, oh, great. So I thought, so I, I, I tried putting in account number. Nothing worked. And so the next thing I did, I... I looked at, okay, where's a local branch? Uh -huh. No local branch in Wisconsin. Closest one, 
140 miles away in, in Illinois. So I look at the clock, it's 1 o'clock in the afternoon, I think, okay, everybody's back from lunch, I call up the bank. <laughs> Debit card, social security number, account number, all recorded. The same thing. I can't talk to a person. It's like, please, just give me a person to talk to. And how many times in our life are we at that same place? It's like, just give me someone to talk to. Just someone who can walk with me in the midst of what it is that I'm walking through. And do we have that? Yeah. His name is Emmanuel. The one who is with us. And what you're walking through right now, is he Emmanuel? And again, you'll hear me say this so many times. For some of us, that issue's got to be solved before you hit the end of the driveway today. Because either he is or he isn't. And he didn't come to just be fire insurance in your life. He came to be Emmanuel in your life. He came to be Lord in your life. Those plans that God has, do they include you? Yes. Think about that. That should blow every circuit in your mind. That me, this person who, I know what my past is like. And yet God says, I got a plan for your life that is going to be, it's more than what you could ever ask or imagine. Will you say yes to me? Will you obey what it is that I'm, I'm asking you to do? Will you honor me? Because the question comes back to Joseph, so what's he going to do? After he's told us in a dream, what does he do? And it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 25, 24 and 25, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. Who does that sound like? That sounds like Abraham, what God asked him to do, an incredibly hard thing. And the very next day, he gets up and he does what it is that God sets about to do what it is that God called him to do. He obeyed God. And not only that, it says he took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. He obeyed God, he trusted God, and he honored God. Was this a one-time thing for him? This was a new course in life. And for some of us, that's what scares us. Because that means I have to get off the throne. (laughs) And getting off the throne is scary, isn't it? I mean, we're stubborn German, stubborn Dutch people here. We don't like giving up authority. But he wants to be the one who calls the shots because he has a plan. A plan that includes you. A plan where he says, I'll walk with you. I'll walk through this with you. Whatever you walk through, I'll be there. All you have to do, you want to talk to me? Call upon me. You want to read from my word? I'll speak to you from my word to your heart. I'm there. I'm Emmanuel for you. Amen? Amen. So what are you going to do? It's trust. It's obedience. And it's honor. That's what he calls us. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. And Lord, for some of us, uh, this has been a year where um, we have been reeling.
someone dear to us passed away. A dream that we had for a job disintegrated. A health issue came up that, that just threw us back. An incident happened in our marriage that has left us questioning. And God, in the midst of hurts, in the midst of questions, in the midst of whatever we may be facing, <coughs> you are the one who doesn't leave. You are the one who's promised that you'd never leave, nor would you forsake us. And it doesn't matter what we've done. You choose to continue to love us. And God, I pray this morning for those whose hearts are broken today. I pray that they would bring their brokenness to you. And know that you are the one who will weep with them. I pray for those who right now are scared. That they would come to you and that you as the Prince of Peace would breathe peace and strength into their hearts. I pray for those today who are questioning you. Why? Why? I pray that they would bring their questions to you. And I pray for us as a congregation that we will be asking you the what question as well. What do you want? And I pray as well that, Lord, you'd give us courage to trust you, to obey you, and to honor you. Emmanuel, would you, would you walk with us through this week? Would you walk with us in this day? Would you walk with us in the next hours? And would you reveal yourself to each one that you are truly God with us? And I pray, God, your richest blessing over this precious group. In Jesus' holy name, amen, amen. Before our song, may the Lord bless you. In whatever it is that you are walking through today, he is God with you. That won't change. In this week, run to him. Fall on your knees before him. But trust him that he knows what it is that he's doing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have a great week.